Well, hello again, friends and neighbors. Welcome to another edition of No Filter Media. I'm Sly James, co-founder of Wickham James Strategies and Solutions with Joey Wickham, my partner who's here with me. I'm the author of a couple of books, The Passion for Purpose and The Opportunity Agenda, a Democratic Plan to Grow the Middle Class. Um, I've had the honor of working with Joni for a number of years while we were in the mayor's office, and we decided to do this podcast to talk about things of interest and policy. So you're here to talk about quite a number of things, and we have some guests here with us today that Joni will introduce. Joni? Hey, everybody. This is Joni Wickham. Uh, I am also a co-founder of Wickham James Strategies and Solutions and the author of the best-selling book, The Thin Line Between Cupcake and Bitch. It's anyone's guess which one I'm bringing any day. Not Sly mine, has right? <laughs> Sly has his own guesses. I'm pretty much charted by a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are really excited to have this conversation uh, today with Jennifer Hackwolf, who's the audience development manager for the Beacon. And then we also have Gary Enrique Bradley Lopez with the Kansas City Beacon, and he's the community engagement bureau manager. And it's really excited to talk about the Beacon and nonprofit news, um, kind of your vision, and talk to about like how quickly this organization has grown in a minute amount of time. Thank you. We're so thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So The Beacon is a nonprofit independent newspaper, or sorry, newsroom here in Kansas City. We're founded by a local journalist, Kelsey Ryan. We've been around in Kansas City a little more than a couple of years, and then in Wichita, we're about to celebrate our first anniversary. So there's a Wichita Beacon as well. And when you talk about how quickly we've grown, um, we're at 15 full-time employees now. Um, that growth is really thanks to, I think, the community engagement. So really from the very beginning, before we even launched this newsroom, we started just talking to as many people as we could to find out what we could do to make a newsroom that was super relevant to what the needs were in Kansas City and realizing that Kansas City and and really so many cities right now are really undersourced for local journalism and that if we were going to build something that was sustainable and meaningful and not just rebuilding what the old broken news model was, we needed to give people what they really need. So I think the community engagement approach has been central to everything we've done and really probably the part we're most excited about. So So tell me, how, how how does the no profit independent, tell our listeners why that's different than what they're normally used to and what's the advantage of of having an independent nonprofit news source? Well, we're in a race to build something sustainable for Kansas City. Um, I think we've we've seen, if, you're, if you pay attention, there's a lot of newsrooms that have collapsed. And I think the number is that from since 2008, about half of the local journalists, those jobs have disappeared. And certain news beats are most in danger. Um, so sports, for example, has become a, a higher proportion of the local news that we have, which is which is okay. But there's a lot of stories that aren't being told. So w- the experiment, which is really not so much of an experiment anymore, because local news or sorry, local nonprofit news organizations have existed for decades now. Um, but it's really new to Kansas City. When we started here, I think we were the first nonprofit newsroom 
outside of public radio in the, our four state area. And now it's really catching on, which is something that's exciting to see. So we are funded um, by startup capital from grants. So foundations, which is still, I think, a, the, the vast majority of, of where our funding comes from. But as we're growing audience and people are learning about us and finding our news, finding us through Google, finding us through social media, more and more people are finding our news and learning about what it means to support a local newsroom. And that membership is growing to support, uh, keep us open. A <laughs> uh, couple things based on what you just said. Um, when we were the mayor's office, you really didn't have to work very hard to get coverage mm-hmm. of cool things like streetcar and airport. You know, he could stand outside of 12th and Oak and eight cameras would show up. But I found myself being frustrated from time to time when we wanted to talk about something like third grade reading proficiency and all the great things in the community that Turn the Page KC was doing. So I'm really thankful that there is an impetus that you all are putting on education reporting. Um, because I think without that, it's it's kind of crickets in the region. Um, I, I What you're saying reminds me, we had a community advisory board meeting last night, and one of the people in the room said, you know, I can turn on the news ton- tonight and I can see, you know, I can see what the mayor did today. I can see how many people were shot in our community. I can see what kid was abducted. But I see all of that and I know what happened. But also I kind of wonder, so what? So, so what does it really, what does it matter? What, what's, what's going to happen next? What does this mean for our community? What's, what's really happening in Kansas City aside from just these, these quick hits? And that's what we're, we're really trying to do. So that approach to the education coverage, yes, that education reporter still goes to all the school board meetings, but she's less, um, less interested in giving people the blow-by-blow of um, what's on the agenda and more the holistic approach of how does this fit into all the systemic issues that are going on. Um, I think when Superintendent Bedell, his resignation note said like, yes, these were all the things that we were able to do that I was so proud of, but there's so many things that are connected to education that have nothing to do with what's under my jurisdiction. And so that's that's why I think that holistic approach to in-depth journalism um, is so important. So what does the community engagement aspect fit in here? Yeah, so before I joined the Kansas City Beacon, the focus of the Beacon was to make sure that they were, you know, serving the community, serving those communities that they do care about, right, or the communities that they are within. And so by doing so, they did it by, what, community listening sessions, they did surveys, they did questionnaires, and they were going out there really just taking the time to invest in these people and invest in the issues that they care about, the story ideas that matter, and we brought that back into the newsroom bringing back into the newsroom and allowing that to guide our work. And so I've been here for about four months at the Kansas City Beacon as their community engagement bureau manager. And since then, we have hired nine community engagement representatives from across the Kansas City metro, Johnson County, the Northland, Wyandotte County, Midtown, South KC, who really just focus on meeting their community members, getting to know what issues matter to them, again, and making sure that they can help and move our newsroom forward because we want to ensure that we are serving those communities. And so the community aspect about that is just really making sure that we're bringing out solution and data-driven news that impacts them. So when we're talking about education, for years I could never tell you what the Kansas City, Kansas Public School District budget looked like, what it meant, what it did. And for the first time ever, because of our education reporter, Maria, 
we were able to finally see what the budget looked like, what did it mean, and I was able to see my own community, which I live in, finally understand the budget that they never did, right? And so at the end of the day, it's about serving our community and making sure that we are there as a resource for information and for news and accessibilities that they usually have. So I'm, I'm interested that when you talk about the engagement of the community advocates across the city to see what's going on and what issues bubble up, what are the issues that are bubbling up? There's a lot. There's a lot of issues. So, I'm sure. Um, I was mentioning today I had a conversation, and so uh, we were talking about the assumptions that we have about certain community members. And so one of them is like the Latinx community. I think a lot of times we assume that the Latinx community really just wants to know about immigration. They want to learn about work opportunities. But it's way more than that. They want to know about transportation. They want to know how they can make an impact in their kids' lives. They want to know about small businesses and taxes. There's other issues that they also want to know about, but we make this assumption about it, right? And so as we're going into, we're having these conversations and we're starting to dig into and really just uncover some things that, we just would have never thought of even reporting about. And now it also gives us like, um, I want to say validity. Is that, is that a right word? Validity to go out there and really dig into these information because it does matter. So Gary, when it comes to community engagement, how will the beacon know that you've been successful? Like two, five, 10 years from now, what does success look like for you? I think we've, we've had multiple discussions about this, and Jen, feel free to jump in. But I think for me, and this is the answer that I gave when I was given this question in my interview for this job, was to see my community do something for themselves, to see themselves being able to take actionable steps after news, right? I think a lot of time when we, when we think of news, we just think of news as informing as informing someone, but there's something beyond that. Like, what is it that I could do after reading this story? Oh, I could go speak at a city council meeting. Oh, I know that this money comes from this area and this planning commission, so I can go talk to them now. So starting to consider what are the actionable steps, what people can do after our news, not just being left thinking and wondering what's next, but thinking what they could do next, how they could help themselves, how they could become powerful themselves just through the news and reading that. So one of the things we try and do as a newsroom is center impact and center those conversations among our staff so that we're always thinking about what is it that we're trying to do besides just driving a lot of clicks to a website, which I spent a lot of years trying to drive clicks to a website, um, and that could make you kind of happy, but, but what if we can really make a difference for our community? So for us, um, the highest form of impact is just seeing positive change happen. And we've been really lucky to see that happen from our from our uh, journalism really directly. Um, recently, the Wichita newsroom, um, a reporter discovered a data breach of election workers. And this woman who was at our community advisory board meeting last week said, I found out about the beacon because Celia called me and said, hey, did you know your um, data had been breached? And not only did she call me that one time and you guys published a story, but she kept publishing stories and held people accountable until something was done about it. And that's like, it's, it's really important that we're not just breaking the stories, and, uh, but we're following up, holding power to account. So Sly and I have talked about this a lot, and we've had podcast episodes about the current state or lack thereof of our democracy. I happen to believe that journalism is really freaking important to democracy. Real journalism. Yes. Not internet journalism. Yes, yes. Which is a great segue to my question for you both. Um, 
I'm old enough to remember and to have worked in um, politics and political news where back then the only way to get a story in the media was to, heaven forbid, get out of your seat, walk down to the Raleigh News and Observer, have a conversation with a reporter, have that reporter, heaven forbid, fact check everything you said. Like, it was a very different world. Um, And one, I think, probably more conducive to a strong democracy. How do you think the Beacon in particular, and nonprofit journalism more generally, how can um, the Beacon be a tool um, to make democracy more sustainable and um, thrive in this crazy Twitter, Instagram world? I think one of the first things for us starts with earning trust in the community because if we if we can't earn trust, um, earn, earn that trust, then we're not going to be of use to anyone. And a couple of the things that we know are our strongest tools for earning trust is transparency about our funding, but also transparency about our processes. So helping people understand what the news gathering process is, where our story ideas come from, what our editing process is, that we're doing the very best we can to ensure that you're getting factual information. So that's that's one of the first parts of it. Um, and then we... We see, we've seen over and over again that that messaging around democracy is really central to what moves our membership, that people are choosing to support local news now because they, they believe that it's key to our democracy. So we try to talk about that a lot, but also acknowledging the polarization um, that exists right now and that local news has been a big part of that problem. And we try to talk about what we're doing to not be a part of that problem. One of the things that we've done is we made a commitment not to have an opinion section. We saw that too often those opinion pages were just divisive and there wasn't clarity around what's fact and what's opinion. And we felt like there's enough of that going on in Kansas City. And when we started talking to the community, they were very supportive of that choice. So that's one of the things that's helped. That makes me feel better about the world right there. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you break it down a little bit more when you said that how you select what you're going to write about? How does that process work? Because in today's world, with so many different things going on on so many different levels and so many different spheres, you could probably write about anything. So what's the criteria that you're looking for, and how do you get there? I'll start broadly, and I'll let Gary go to the, into the specifics. When, as I mentioned, when we got started, we knew Kansas City was so undersourced for news. So we can't afford to point reporters at anything that's not absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. So we selected mm-hmm. our beats based on where the news was most needed. So that's local government, state government, civic engagement, health care, and education. So those are our, our primary beats right now. Um, Gary can tell you a little bit more about how the community engagement efforts are helping drive story ideas. Yeah, so um, as community engagement representatives are going out there speaking to the community, as mentioned before, story ideas are starting to populate out of that information. So usually I'll take the time, read through all that information, meet with our community engagement representatives, and then continue to have a conversation with them. Like, how did the conversation go? What are some story ideas that might have came out of there? What are some ideas that 
you think your community really, really wants to talk about or was really common within the interviews that you had. And then we go from there. And today I presented in front of our uh, in front of our team and showed them a couple of the interviews. We talked about how, um, you know, some story ideas that made it came out of that, that came out of there. And then we brainstormed a couple other ideas from that information. So most of our story ideas are are coming out of those um, or the ideas that came out of those came out of the information that we got. And then we had an interview with the representative and then continued it more as we talked in the team meeting. Good. So as you have been at this now for a couple of years, what surprised you the most? I get surprised every day. I really do. Like today we were just looking at, um, notes from our community representatives and the people they're talking to. And one of the surprises was people love living in Redbridge. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is like, this is, this is outside of my worldview. So this makes me curious. I want to learn, learn more about that. Um, that's been, that, that, that was like a little surprise today. Um, what is my biggest surprise? I guess, um, I guess my, my biggest surprise is how different local news can look. Um, because I spent so much of my career working for the, the big newsroom in town and um, had, a, had a lovely experience and was really invested in my time there. Um, but this approach of putting community and impact really central to everything we're doing has motivated me so much. And I see the difference that it makes in our team culture and how we're able to just treat our community with dignity and respect at every turn. It, it impresses me every day. Yeah, I think, you know, so I applied for the Kansas City Beacon for, th- for two reasons. One, it was really community engagement. That's something I had never seen in, in the news or in the media. That was something really new. Actually, I didn't even know what I was going to do as a job until I came in the first day. And I really recognized how important that was that community was guiding the work of the news. Um, but another thing that really got me was the nonprofit aspect. Because we are a nonprofit, we're not focused on Democrat, Republican. We're focused on straight solution and data-driven news. And that's really the news that is helpful for our community. That's really what provides solutions that makes those actionable steps. When you send a general email to the Beacon, it goes to me. So I get to see those every day. Um, so, yes, I think as a newsroom, you're you're going to get um, – like political balance kind of criticism a lot. And so that's one of the things we watch closely and try to explain what being an independent newsroom um, means and try to explain what our editorial process is. Um, As a nonprofit newsroom, we have to ask for money. We have to let people know what membership means. And that can be annoying when you're getting emails saying, saying, you know, hey, this is why you should support local news. So we get some criticism on on just that approach. So another thing that surprised me, so I'm from Wyandotte County, Kansas City, Kansas, right? So I'm from across the river. And a story that I like to tell is that for a long time as a kid, I always thought this tall guy was my mayor, right? Uh, Eventually, I thought you were my mayor. And while I'm sure you're cool and I'm sure you were a really good mayor, you weren't my mayor. And I think a lot of that had to do with the media, right? The media, as you stated before, you can talk about anything that was happening in KCMO and they were ready to be out there in front of Sly James's face. And as I long think as it was sexy and flashy. There you go, right. As long as it was that, but you guys were still on the media way and that was sexy and flashy, right, compared to the media. 
Um, and what I learned was that it wasn't just Wyandotte County that was also going through that. Like we weren't the only ones that were lacking news and information equity. Like there's the Northland where there's, there's, you know, small suburban cities down there that also don't have that news and information access. South KC feels like they aren't being represented in the, in the nice manner in the media. And so I was just surprised to learn that through, through that. I was surprised to learn that it wasn't just KCK. It wasn't just WICO that was going through all that. There's these other places across the Kansas City metro that are also going through the same type of news and information inequities in their communities as well. Mm-hmm. So are you trying to cover all those areas and provide what was missing? Because it seems like that would spread you out quite a bit. It spread us out pretty quick, but I think our community engagement representatives are spread out in that area. So we have at least one from the Northland, uh, one from the South side, a couple from Johnson County, and then a lot from Kansas City, Kansas and KCMO. But they're also connected to people from across the metro as well. So we've been learning a lot. Yeah, that's where she got that Red Bridge information. Are- <laughs> Oh, go ahead. No, you're fine. Are there trends that you're seeing all across the region that maybe um, folks in the Northland, folks in um, Wyandotte County, and folks in Johnson County are all really ginned up about X, Y, Z? So I not so I haven't really looked into all the interviews like that. I think one things that pop out more is how people are getting their information and their news, right? Like in the Northland, we saw a lot of people getting their information from neighborhood associations, from the next door app. Um and then you look through across KC, a lot of them get it through social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, but as far as topics, what we recognize, like the Redbridge, the Redbridge neighborhood was talking a lot about infrastructure like neighbor like their sidewalks. Uh, their transportation access. And as you come down here and into the middle areas, you start talking about the streetcar areas and people worried about gentrification and worried about the changes and how taxes are going up. So you start seeing some of those common themes around in in certain areas as you start going into the interviews. I would say that probably the, the biggest theme that comes up now is housing. I think it's so, so, so top of mind. And we have a new housing and labor reporter who's just getting started. And that was really deliberate to that this is such the story of our times right now that we need somebody focused on it. Well, I would imagine housing would be very big at the moment because it's in short supply and great, great demand and high priced. But um, I'm, I'm one of the things that I, that I really tried to focus on along with, uh, with being in office was the issue of education because I think it's so critical to at least make a dent in some of the chronic issues of poverty and violence and all sorts of other things that come with poverty and violence. And as you probably know, we tried very hard to get universal pre-K started. We were unsuccessful. No shame in that. Uh, Denver, even though Denver has what I would consider to be a model quality pre-K program, I think it took them two or three votes to get moving. Uh, but the process of providing quality pre-K is so expensive that without a steady funding stream, you can't really pull it off. I'm curious as to as, when you talk to people, are they tuned in to the needs of that zero to five population to any extent? You know, and, and, and there's two parts to it. There's the child care part, which I think would free a lot of people up to go back to work, particularly women. But then there's the pre-K part which I think would free up the kids to actually succeed in grade school, high school, and beyond. So what are you hearing on education from folks? Um, Education is one of our most read beats. We can see that from the data side. 
And uh, we realized, we learned so much this past school board election, just that the need in all of the municipalities to get that really basic information to be civically engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, the, the zero to five, um, definitely hearing a lot about, about the, the cost of childcare and just the disconnect um, between the understanding of how much it really costs to raise a family these days. It's, it's really underestimated and not talked about enough, and more and more people are finding themselves suddenly in that crunch. And then with the, um, the budget approval process going through with KCPS and the potential for closing schools and the option for expanding pre-K being one of the budget options, I think that's one of the things that's going to stay part of the conversation. Well, that's certainly something that there should be some incentive in seeing that they get done. It would solve a lot of their later problems if they would take care of the problems earlier. Yeah. Um, You said something a few minutes ago in our conversation that um, really struck me. You said that you guys don't have opinion pages. I promise you this is not a bitchy comment. I promise you it isn't. Um, So considering we have all these social media tools at our disposal where everyone has an opinion on everything, even if they don't know jack about it, and you can put it out for the world to see, are opinion sections relevant anymore? And like genuinely, this isn't a bitchy comment. Uh, Are opinion sections relevant anymore? And if not, I would love your um, professional um, reasons why you think that. Um, I think traditionally it, it has been a way for people to have a sense of community and a sense of understanding about what people around them are experiencing. But yes, as you mentioned, with, with, our, with our digital world, we have so much more access to each other and to ideas. Um, I don't, I never hear people complain about a lack of access to opinions. Um, so we hear, we hear a lot of uh, complaints about local news, and that's not one of them. Yeah. So I, I would take it then, along with opinions, there would not be political endorsements. No. Okay. Is there, however, reporting on candidates? Yes. Okay. So that's a pretty fine line to walk, isn't it? Uh, between, I mean... To, to report on a candidate without seeming like you're either condemning or condoning, um, how do you, is it more like biographical pieces, reporting on what they say at various places without commentary, or how exactly does that work? We, um, we cover local government, we cover state government, and we try to be really firm in that definition that we are covering government and not politics. So we are not covering the the horse race of politics. And um, yes, we do a lot of um, candidate backgrounding and and election information, but there's room for that to improve. One of our community advisory board members last night said, you know, I love love the candidate information, but I want to know that you're not just reprinting their election pamphlet, Mm -hmm. that I want to know that you're not just printing what they say they will do, but you're, but that you're following up and, and holding them accountable. You mean to tell me that you could actually cover how people govern and not all the sexy jazzy things they say on the campaign trail. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> and not all of them are sexy and jazzy. <laughs> Some of them are just lies. <laughs> That's just me. But they sound good. <laughs> you know, it, well, you know, it's better to sound good than to be good. Uh, it, it's small play on Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, I'm intrigued by the idea of straight-up journalism. I grew up in an era um, different than all of you. Uh, where there were three main television stations, CBS, ABC, NBC. 5.30 News comes on, you could flip from one channel to the other, and if you stopped mid-sentence on CBS and went to ABC, you were going to see the guy finish the sentence, and then the next person down on NBC is going to change the paragraph. And we were all kind of getting the same information provided in the same way, and the people who occupied those positions, Cronkite, others, Dan Rather, were respected. Now, it's more like you have to have the right hair, and if you're a woman, you really need to be attractive, but you don't have to say anything, and it's become more like television, entertainment, opinion editorials than anything else. So, I've also thought that the value of journalism in this country is as the fourth estate. Somebody has to hold government and people running government accountable. And if they don't, then there will be people who run government who feel that they don't have to account. And that leads to 2020 and <laughs> January 6th. Yeah. Now, I guess there's a fine line between reporting and investigative reporting. Do you cross that line or you do both or what, how do you do it? What, what's, your, what's your thrust? Is it like, here are the facts, ma'am, make your own decisions? Or, hey, we've dug around in this, and there's some crappy crap going on here that you guys need to know about. I'm thinking about what you were saying earlier about, you know, the old days of, of three television stations and three old white men talking to you, saying, saying the same thing. And I think that's what makes this new day of digital news so exciting, that the barrier of entry is so much lower, where, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been unheard of for a young woman to be able to start her own newsroom here, um, just using her laptop to make a PowerPoint and start talking to people. And um, I think that is such a benefit to all of us in the diversity that's represented in our newsrooms, where it's uh, people of color and um, just a variety, a variety of different kinds of people and life experiences that are able to find that entry point and create stories for their community. You know, I'd like to say that society has changed to the extent that that's how it's evolved, but I'm going to take a slightly different thing and say that technology has evolved to such an extent that it is doable, and you don't have to be part of a monolithic CBS, NBC, ABC mm -hmm. structure in order to put out what you think. Now, I could be... I could set up a YouTube channel and talk about crazy crap and probably get some subscribers who would watch it and God only knows why, but it, it seems to me that the more off the beaten path you are, the more people are going to tune in. So I do think that on the good side is it's been much more equalitarian and allowed people to get out there and do their thing. On the bad side is it's allowed a whole lot of crazy people to do the same thing and offset the good that's being done by the fact that there's more access and openness no, i agree yeah there's a lot of that i mean and i think that's also one of the reasons why i wanted to come to the beacon right like it's it's it's, it's accessible it's out there for people that want to read it 
But not only that, I don't have to pay for it. Like, it feels so good to hear about news or read about news in my community that I don't have to pay for. Like, I live in my community. Why should I have to pay to read about things that impact me? And so I think that's one of the big benefits that comes with that free online nonprofit solution database news. Yeah, it does seem like having access to the news of your community should be a public good. Right. Yeah. Do you guys forget where you live? (laughs) This is America. Everything that's out there has a price tag on it, and if it doesn't, somebody is going to try to put a price tag on it. Mm-hmm. We are so, we will commercialize anything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are not commercialized gives you, I would think, a tremendous amount of freedom to kind of say what needs to be said. It's because you're not beholden to a bunch of advertisers who, if you say the wrong thing from their perspective, are going to pull their ads, and now you've got a big financial hole to fill. The people who I would expect that would support this are people who support the purity of quality journalism speaking facts, mm-hmm. truth to power, as opposed to people who do sensationalized rants or things that may titillate but don't solve any problems. Right. So you've been expanding. You've expanded pretty well. You went to Wichita. You got some folks down there. Where's next? Where are you going next? We're, we're, I think we're staying, staying put for, for a little bit. So just uh, kind of keeping our commitments to these communities, um, growing what we have. We're not done um, for Kansas City. We're not done for Wichita. Is there a nonprofit news association? There's several, and that's one of the reasons we've been able to grow so quickly is um, there's a a network of of peer newsrooms that it's very open source getting started as a nonprofit newsroom. We love sharing what it is that we are learning, and we have have learned so much from watching how similar operations got set up across the country And, and connected to those newsrooms here in Kansas City as well. We're part of the Kansas City Media Collective which is five different newsrooms that are uh, supported by the Kauffman Foundation. So they've brought us all together to dig harder into community news collaboration um, so that we can make all of the organizations stronger and more visible and serve uh, more diverse audiences. Well, this has been just a real joy, being able to speak with both of you and learn more about The Beacon. Um, I'm a huge fan. Um, and just look forward to continuing to watch your journey, and um, we should have you back for sure. One, one last question. What is the one thing above all else that you want anybody listening to this podcast to know about the beacon or about what you do or about how you do it? I Right now what's top of mind for me is that local news is expensive to make. Quality, quality um, local news that is vetted and, and edited, that is trustworthy and is factual, it, it, it's a commitment and it's expensive. So I, when Gary talked about, you know, he loves that the beacon is free and anyone, anyone can go to our webpage and we're committed to that. Ethically, we strongly believe that everyone should have access. But it's important that those of us who can step up to support local news it's time to step up. Uh, we, we can't make this work um, just doing it for free. 
just um, just relying on grants, which may not always we don't always know when they're going to come, or having to open ourselves up to other the other methods that you talked about that just might not be as healthy for our community. So if you can step up to support local news, now is the time. Can you identify the um, nonprofit news source uh, uh, similar to the Beacon that's had the longest longevity at this point? Yeah, the, the, the big daddy that everybody looks at is the Texas Tribune. So they have their, their, they're gigantic serving serving Texas and we've drawn a lot of yes it is we've, we've drawn a lot of inspiration from everything from their events plan and revenue models to how they've built out their beats to what they do um, in terms of engagement methods so that's been the one that um, that everybody talks about how long have they been around I believe about 20 years oh good I just wanted to make sure that we were talking about something that you know and can show is sustainable because, as you well know, we have a lot of things in intermarkets here for a day. The one hit wonders, one great record, and then you never hear from them again, but they keep getting royalties, uh, which is a whole different other story. But I think it's important for people to know that you're not a flash in the pan and that you are sustainable and that you're going to be here for a while so that they can have faith in you. It's part of that trust you were talking about. The, the material survival of specific news sources it's very tenuous right now, and we can't take it for granted. I, I don't think we're a splash in the pan, but I don't have a crystal ball to know what's ahead, and I think we know how vulnerable our community is right now. But what I do know is that we are making uh, significant impacts in our community right now that I believe that that change, that positive change, will, will outlast um, anything else we can do. So folks, if you've liked what you've heard so far about the Beacon and nonprofit news and independent news, then put your money where your mouth is. Support the process. Um, you know, although you can read it for free, it ain't produced for free. And it takes money to get that done. Reporters need to be paid. Families need to be fed. But we get our heads fed by good independent news if we support it. So thank you very oh, much for doing you. that. Thank you. Thank you.